Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. What you're doing is important and valuable work. It's why clients are even talking to you in the first place, because they need what you do. So charge them for it. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Every month, I do an informal survey of the Gold Digger audience. Maybe you've seen the posts on Instagram or in the Gold Digger podcast Facebook Insiders group. The reason this show has crossed over 400 episodes is frankly because of you. And so I want to continue bringing you the topics and the conversations that you want most. And a topic that bubbled up to the top of the list recently was pricing. Valuing your products and services can feel like an abstract process, and it can be difficult to give blanket pricing advice across the many different business structures that tune into this podcast for advice. However, there are some key components of pricing and valuation that will shift the way you look at your offers, whether they're product or service-based, and help you effectively put a value on your work that supports your overall brand strategy. I am thrilled to share the mic with Sari Day to dig into pricing advice that you can put into practice today. As a coach, Sari has worked with big name Fortune 100 companies and global ad agencies, even Google, to help women navigate the system. The system we're navigating in this episode is your pricing system. So let's get started right now. Here she is, Sari Day. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Gold Digger. Small businesses have unique needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. For $50 off, visit linkedin.com slash gold digger.
Thanks to Wondery for supporting the Gold Digger podcast. In the newest season of Wondery's Business Wars podcast, Instagram versus TikTok, they track the war between the two social media giants. You can listen to the new season on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. All right. Sorry. I am so excited. So, so excited to welcome you to the podcast for a million and one reasons. But first, just welcome to the Gold Digger podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Okay. So full disclosure, I am so ready to be a student today. One of the number one things I get asked about is pricing and I'm never quite sure how to answer it in a way. And so when I saw that this was the topic that we got to discuss, I swear I did like the praise hand emoji in real life. And I'm just so grateful for your expertise. So we're going to dive on into all that good stuff. But before we do, I want for you to paint kind of a picture for our audience. Like who is sorry? And what has your career in entrepreneurship journey looked like so far? Yeah, sure. So I grew up really, really poor. I'm a migrant and I'm the daughter of migrants. We moved from India to Australia when I was nine and later I moved to the US in my early 30s. And let me tell you, there is nothing worse than being different in the fifth grade. So when we moved, my English was accented. My lunches were really smelly, according to the other kids. Like my mom literally did not know what a sandwich was or how to make one. And our family was really poor, as I said, which has really far-reaching consequences for how we dressed and what activities we could participate in. And all of that kind of seeded something in my mind as a child that I didn't really know how to articulate or navigate. And I was lucky enough to go to university and then began what ultimately became a 15-year corporate career, first at ad agencies and then later at tech companies like Microsoft and T-Mobile and Facebook. And I had the rapid rise that I think many sort of smart, ambitious, hardworking people can relate to. But as I rose further and further, I noticed a few things starting to happen. So I started getting called aggressive at work. And my communication style hadn't changed, but I was now in a leadership position and that was threatening. So it's one thing when that ambitious brown girl doesn't have any power, it's different when she does. Mm. I noticed that my work would get more interrogated than my male counterparts, that my promotions were slowing and delayed and that my pay rises were suddenly harder to come by. And I realized that I'd reached a point in my career where it wasn't about what you do. It's about all these soft skills. How do you negotiate? How do you influence? How do you tell your story and explain your value? How do you manage up? How is your imposter syndrome holding you back? And all of those skills became everything. And some of this was exacerbated by my background. So I didn't have any sponsors or mentors or anyone in my community to give me the education on all of those soft skills. And I didn't even know about them. I didn't even really understand what was missing. I just knew that something was escaping me. And even worse, some of the advice that I was getting was really damaging. So when I got the job at Facebook, I called my parents to tell them and they were so excited and they were like, when are you starting? And I said, you know, we're still negotiating. And there was this silence. And then my mm. dad said, honey, they're offering you so much money. Maybe you should take it. You don't want them to take the offer away. And this was my dad who wants nothing but the best for me, giving me the 
best advice he thought he could give me. And I contrast this to my husband who grew up in the US and who negotiated his college internship, which he didn't even get paid for, but he moved from Indiana to LA for the summer for the job. And so even though they didn't give him a salary, he got them to pay for an apartment and for a rental car. And he took those negotiation skills to his first real job and then to the next one and the next one. And by the time he was 25, he was making way more money than I was. So I watched all of this happening to me, but also to the women around me. I ran really large teams. I mentored a lot of women. I set up and led diversity programs at all these huge companies I worked for. And I was seeing a trend around women and people of color not necessarily having these soft skills, critical skills. And I knew that I wanted and needed to change that because I was tired of hiring women who hadn't negotiated their salaries, of watching women downplay their achievements in interviews, of realizing that the women on our team earned less than the men and dealing with colleagues who complained that the only woman of color I had on my team wasn't collaborative, which, you know, when I started to investigate, turned out to actually mean that she knew more than everyone else in the room. She wasn't (laughs) apologetic about it. And that made them uncomfortable. Hmm. So I did the scary thing and I walked away from my huge paycheck and job security and healthcare and this career I'd invested in because I knew that if I could just teach enough women these soft skills, we could break the glass ceiling. So I started out coaching women and people of color to step into leadership. And I realized really quickly that this wasn't enough because I could teach them to navigate the system until I was blue in the face and I was really good at it. But until we changed the system, we would always be playing by unfair rules and trying to make those rules work. We didn't need to break the glass ceiling so much as we needed to rebuild this entire termite infested house. So I work with companies now as well as one one to dismantle the system. And by that, I mean, build programs that create cultures of inclusion where women and people of color can thrive and remove those traditional barriers to hiring and to advancement. And so I started out and our consultancy recently rebranded. We're now called Nine of Us based on the Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote, you know, when there are nine of us judges. And our consultancy has a really singular mission. Our mission is to help women and people of color step into leadership. And by leadership, I mean power and wealth. I want women to have more power and more wealth. And not because I want to create this army of despots, but because I think power (laughs) and wealth give us the most critical thing of all, influence. When we wield influence, we can dismantle systems from the inside out. When we lead, when we get paid, we are able to influence change. And so I'm here to help women get power and get paid, which sounds pretty good, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds amazingly good. And I think that what's so incredible about your story is that you just kept pushing and pursuing and follow your gut. And I think that what your takeaways and observations are, are entirely correct. This isn't just happening in main offices. This is happening with entrepreneurs. And one of your areas of expertise is helping entrepreneurs get paid what they're worth. So how did that become such an important piece of the work that you do? Yeah. So I focus on women, not because I think men are the worst, actually quite the opposite. The men that I work with are incredible allies who care deeply about 
gender equality and racial equality. But the reason that I focus on women is because we earn 81 cents for every dollar a man makes. And that becomes 64 cents for every dollar a man makes if you're a black woman. Women get less VC funding than men. And according to Forbes, only 1.7% of women-owned businesses crack the million-dollar mark and we're 30% of business owners. I just refuse to believe that men are that much more talented than we are. That just can't (laughs) be the case. Amen, girl. (laughs) So there is something else going on here. And when we don't get paid what we're worth, it's not just unfair. It materially harms us and our futures. It affects our ability to put food on the table, to afford health care, to make decisions for ourselves, to take risks in our business. And when we don't take risks, we stunt our growth and we perpetuate the cycle. We can't afford to invest, whether that's in ourselves, in terms of education, or in products or services that could help our businesses grow. A lot of the risks I've taken have ended up being the most profitable, but I knew that if those ideas didn't pan out, it was okay because we had money stored in the back. I wouldn't have been able to take those risks otherwise, and we wouldn't be growing as fast as we are. UN research has showed that when we invest in women, it exponentially helps the wider community because women reinvest in their families, they reinvest in their networks, they create growth for others. And that is why we're so laser focused at at our consultancy on helping women step into leadership roles, whether that's in the corporate world or as entrepreneurs who are running their own show. Because as I said, for us, that means power, that means influence. Mm. It's so powerful. I want to know, I'm so curious, what have you learned or seen when it comes to female entrepreneurs pricing their products and services? Because I've seen things across the board. And I feel like a lot of women struggle with how to price themselves and what they're worth. Yeah. I think the most important thing that I could say to anybody who is struggling with pricing themselves is that everyone suffers from imposter syndrome. I know that's the thing that you're not mentioning to yourself right now, but no one is exempt. Believe me, I coach CMOs and CEOs and VPs and our companies are brands like LinkedIn and Google and Facebook and Lyft and Kajabi, just to name a few. But because as women, we're subject to so many more layers of shame and pressure about our bodies, our sexuality, our ambition, our leadership, our imposters tend to sing out a little louder and a little more insistently. And because pricing our services is often a reflection of our self-worth and the value that we believe we offer, and your imposter is out there saying, you aren't worth that much, women tend to underprice. And there are several studies on this too. Most recently, there was an extensive study by Ohio State University and the researchers there showed that a women who ran their own service-based businesses from home earned $28 less per hour than their male counterparts. I mean, that is not a small amount of money. Yes. And I see this when I talk about my own pricing. When I list out to colleagues or to clients, how much I charge, men are like, oh, okay. And then the women are always surprised by how much I can get away with charging. And I'm making air quotes here. Yes, I was going to say, wait a second. (laughs) Right? Because I don't, I'm not getting away with anything. There's no scam here. I charge what I'm worth because I'm really freaking good at what I do. And the way that you have to think about it is to separate yourself from your work. Stop conflating what you charge with 
what you're worth or what you think you're worth, because this is not about you. This is purely about the value of your work. Just like your doubts and fears don't define your value, they shouldn't define your earning potential. Another thing that I see women do is downplay their business. So they'll say, oh, I have a little web design service Mm. instead of talking about their business. I mean, I did it too. I found myself really uncomfortable with our success. So I'd say, oh, I have a, I have a small consultancy. Meanwhile, we were making a stack of money and talking to clients who featured on the cover of Forbes. And when we talk small, it affects how others see us, but more importantly, it affects how we see ourselves. When we speak it enough times, we believe it. And then the last thing is in speaking with sort of HR leaders and clients across the globe, there's another factor that influences what we charge, which is our environment. So if we're the richest person in our circle, we think we're making bank. And if our circle is historically poor, our ceiling for wealth is much lower. So I was recently talking to two of my friends who are both black men. One was the head of brand at Lyft and the other is the chief marketing officer at Kajabi. So pretty senior positions, pretty big companies. And I was saying how when I got my first six-figure job offer in the corporate world, I thought I'd made it. I was like, (laughs) I'm rich AF. I can do anything. I was making more money than my parents, more money than anyone I knew until I found out what my counterpart was making. And we were laughing because we all had the same story. We all thought we were so rich until we realized what our predecessor was making or what our counterparts were making because we just didn't know how far ahead we could negotiate. We just didn't know what the ceiling looked like. And so when we dive deeper into pricing strategy, I'm going to talk a lot more about making sure that you're using the right benchmarks. Mm, This is so good and so powerful. And I had such a similar experience. I remember sitting in the office at Target talking to one of my male counterparts and finding out that he made almost double what I did to do the same exact job. And I was so mad at myself Mm -hmm. for just accepting that offer from the first point because, again, you feel so lucky and fortunate and blessed and all those things. And you are all of those things, but you're still, your worthiness isn't impacted by those things, which I think is just so powerful. So I want to know when we're looking at an overall brand strategy, how does pricing play into that? Like beyond just revenue goals or numbers on a spreadsheet, how does pricing play into a brand strategy for a business? Your price is actually part of your brand. So think about Chanel, for example. You wouldn't consider them a luxury brand if they charge $10 for a bag, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not just that. There's a reason that they're able to sell out of a $2,000 canvas tote bag. I mean, it's canvas, and yet they're selling out. And knowing that price is a part of their brand, Chanel never goes on sale. They actually burn their excess stock rather than sell it at a discounted price because they understand this fundamental market rule. If you underprice, you may lose clients who think you're too cheap and therefore not very good. Hmm. So the goal is not to have clients looking around for the cheapest offer because there's always going to be someone who's cheaper. The goal is to have clients who want your brand, your unique thing that you bring, that you found a way to make irresistible. So for our consultancy, 
our price reflects our entire service. So I, for example, have a one-one client who said to me, you know, I'm working with someone and she always insists on DMing me on Instagram, even though I've told her over and over again to email me. And my response is, you're a service-based business and you're a premium one. Your job is to make your client's life easier. And if that looks like adjusting to their preferred communication channel, then just do it. Some of my clients don't have time in the day. They're super busy and we talk after they put their kids to bed or on Saturday because that's what works for them. And it's not just the actual coaching or consulting that our clients pay for. It's the entire experience of working with us. So we respond within 18 hours to any client comms. Our clients know that if they delegate something to us, it's off their to-do list, it will get handled. Our service is seamless. And when you think about walking into a Chanel store or a Tiffany's store, there's a whole experience associated with that price, right? Someone to hold the door open for you. They show you the products wearing white gloves. They package everything up in a beautiful bag. They tie a ribbon on it. So the price that you charge should reflect the entire brand experience that you offer. Oh, I think that's so powerful. And I I 100% agree as well. When it comes to creating an experience, a lot of times people try to just value the product or the service. And that's just the expected thing that they get when they exchange the money. But the experience is really where your unique selling proposition, where the thing that sets you apart comes into play. And you can really charge whatever you want to charge as long as you back it up with an experience that's valued that way. Do you agree? Totally agree with you. Yes. And yeah. that's this is what's going to set you apart from everybody else because there's a lot of people that can offer the same bag or the same, you know, design services that you're offering. It's what's going to set you apart. Yeah. I feel like I experienced a lot of what you're talking about, specifically when I built my photography business in that service-related industry. And I incrementally raised my rates over time so that towards the end of my career as a wedding photographer, I was charging pretty premium rates. But one of the things that people didn't understand was that when I raised my rates, it allowed me to take on less work and give a more customized experience. Mm -hmm. And all of those added touch points created that extra value that was required to raise my rates to that level. And I think a lot of times, and you probably see this all the time, sorry, is people just raise their rates, but they never actually change their experience to back those rates up. And then they wonder like, what broke or what's not working or why aren't people willing to pay for this? Do you feel like you see that sometimes? Yes. Absolutely. When you raise your rates with clients, you have to make sure that they clearly understand where this is coming from and that if you want to retain them, that you've managed their expectations throughout the rate raise process. So you can't just send them a note by email saying, Hey, I'm raising my rates. You know, I suggest if they're a valued long term client, calling them up and saying, The market's changed in two months' time. I'm planning to raise my rates. I wanted to discuss it with you and make sure you understand that this is coming. We really value your business. And then explain exactly what they're going to be getting in addition for those raised rates. And it doesn't have to be more stuff. It can just be, you know, increased levels of service. It doesn't have to be an extra anything, greater touch points, or you can say, we now only take on, you know, I only take on six one-one clients every three months for exactly this reason. I don't put a limit on our contact together because... I want to be able to serve deeply. Yeah, I love that. 
If you like listening to podcasts about business, and I'm guessing that's true because you're tuning into this show, you have to tune into the newest season of Wondery's Business Wars. It's a critical look at TikTok versus Instagram, tracking the war between the two social media giants. We all know how much our society is addicted to social media, and tech entrepreneurs are in an all-out race to cash in. TikTok has become one of the most popular apps around the world within the last couple of years, being one of the most influential social media platforms and also impacting the music industry. Even with the pushback against the app recently, TikTok is still going strong and giving Instagram very close competition. This season of Business Wars will touch on the founding of both apps and their history to date in reaching their top status in the social media world. This podcast is so interesting to me as someone who not only creates in the social media space, but also educates on how to use the platforms well. Knowing the history and the intricacies of the platforms is super interesting. This show is as informative as it is entertaining. Listen to the newest season of Business Wars TikTok versus Instagram on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Will 2021 be the year that you go from solopreneur to hiring your first employee? Will you hand off tasks to a new team member so you can focus on what you're best at? When you're ready to make the first hire or the next one, LinkedIn Jobs can help. In the last few years, I've hired four people with the help of LinkedIn Jobs. They match your role with qualified candidates so you can find the right person for your business fast. If you're ready to grow, post a job with targeted screening questions, and they'll quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. I can tell you from experience that hiring with LinkedIn is just more streamlined and efficient than other job boards because you can manage job postings and contact candidates all in the same place, and the screening questions really do help you hone in on the exact skills you need in order to fill your position. When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash gold digger. Again, that's linkedin.com slash gold digger to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So this is like a question I am so excited to ask you among all of the others, of course, but what pricing structures do you recommend? So when is like an hourly rate or a project-based or value-based the most appropriate structure? How does somebody land on the right structure for what they are offering? So the first thing to understand is that we don't necessarily get paid what we're worth. We get paid what people think we're worth. And the good news is that we can influence what people think we're worth by exactly what you just said, clearly communicating our value. And there's five steps to think about when you're trying to influence someone to understand your value. So the first is, what problem do I solve for my clients? So ask yourself, what are your ideal clients struggling with? So as a coach, I know that they're struggling to convey their worth in order to get paid and get promoted. So I'm not asking what is coaching worth to you. I'm asking how much is it worth to you to know negotiation skills that will help you for the rest of your life? How Mm. much is it worth to you to know that you can become a more impactful leader and leave a real legacy behind you? The second, what value do you add? How is the thing that you're offering going to solve their problem? So I teach you how to influence and negotiate without alienating the other side. I teach you to sell yourself in a way that will get you promoted. If you're an entrepreneur, I help you tackle imposter syndrome so you can scale. The third question, 
what is my unique skill set that makes me better qualified to serve my clients? So this could be your portfolio. It could be your past history. It could be your personal story, the way you work or your process or some combination of all of these things. But understanding what makes you different or extraordinarily placed to solve the problems for your client will be ultimately why they're willing to pay your fee and not go with a lower priced offer. So the fourth question, what's the market charging? So you need to understand where you sit in the market relative to your competitors, because the chances are your clients are checking them out too on some level. So benchmark, and not just against your direct competitors. So if you're a mindset coach, benchmark against all coaches. If you're a solo web designer, you should know what the top branding agencies are charging because you need to understand what scope you have to raise your prices. And you can also benchmark on sites like glassdoor.com, which publishes corporate salaries. So if you have a job that translates into a corporate role, you can go on there. And for example, if you're a designer, you can see what someone at an agency with less than five years of experience makes, less than 10 years of experience makes. And that'll give you a benchmark for what the corporate world is willing to pay for your services. If you're a coach, you can look at what learning and development roles earn. You can, as entrepreneurs, go to Fiverr or Commune or Catalunt and check them out and see what they're you know, offering or charging. And the last is, what will clients pay for your clearly articulated offer? So talk to some people you've identified as your ideal client and ask them, if I can solve this problem for you, if I can help you negotiate, or if I can teach you to negotiate so that you will always be able to ask for more money, what is that worth to you? And that will do two things. One, it will help you price yourself. And two, it will confirm whether you've articulated your value properly because they should give you a price that you're happy with, right? Yes. And then when it comes to actually pricing yourself, there's three structures, hourly, project, and value. And each of these are progressively more profitable, but also progressively more risky. Mm -hmm. With all of that being said, you need to know your hourly rate regardless of how you price yourself because you should always be tracking this. So most folks start hourly because it's the least risk, but this is also the least profitable. And again, research, this time by Stanford University, shows that one of the main reasons that women stay stuck on the lower end of the pay scale is because they don't set a properly hourly rate to begin with, and then they don't end up increasing their rates. Mm. So your hourly rate is determined by four factors. One, what would you like to earn as a salary? Two, what are your costs? So do you pay for a storefront, web hosting, OBM services? Whatever your costs are, they're going to come directly from your bottom line and they're going to eat into your profit. So you need to think about that. You also need to include things like healthcare, travel costs, if that's a thing for you to travel to and from work. All of those minor things add up really quickly. So make sure that you've accounted for all of the costs associated with your business, your phone line. Three, taxes. So regardless of where in the world you are, I suggest around 30% to start with. You generally pay more taxes the more you earn. So you should check your tax margin as your profits go up. So 
I put aside taxes anytime we bank anything into a special account that's just for taxes so that come tax season, I'm not scrambling to find the money and panicking. I have a rough idea of what we're going to be paying and it's all sitting there in an account. So if it's 30% and a client pays you 10K, 7K will go into your business account, 3K will go straight into that tax account. You don't touch it till tax season. And then the last thing that should determine your hourly rate is your sick leave and your annual leave. So you cannot and should not try to work 365 days a year. So consider your annual salary and then take out two weeks for sick leave and whatever annual leave you may want to take, two weeks, four weeks, less or more. Once you've accounted for all of these things, go back to what you want to earn as a salary, figure out your hourly rate and ask yourself, is this in line with the market? Is this in line with the amount that I had determined that I wanted to charge on an hourly basis? And if the answer is no, you know which levers to pull. You're either going to have to reduce your costs. You're going to have to reduce your annual leave. You may have to work eight hours a day instead of 10 hours a day, but you know exactly where you can adjust in order to increase that salary. And the good news as an entrepreneur is that it's all within your control. So that's hourly rate. The next is project-based. And again, the risk is a little greater. The profitability is a little greater. So you're delivering a very specific thing. Let's use the designer example because we've used that a few times. So your designer, you're delivering a website. You estimate the hours it's going to take and you charge for that. What you're charging for is delivery. So if it takes less time, your profit increases. And if it takes more time, your profit decreases. The challenge with the project-based charging system is that you need to be super, super clear on scope. What's included? What's not? How many meetings are you having with the client? How are you going to deliver it? All of that stuff. There's a lot of room for scope creep. So you need to be fairly experienced in delivering projects to be able to really know all the blind spots and be able to accurately build a project-based estimate. And you always add 10% contingency regardless, higher if it's a new service that you haven't delivered before, or if it's a new client whose communication style you're unfamiliar with. And the last is value-based, which means that you're charging based on the value you offer. So to go back to the website designer example, let's say that that website designer charges $4,000 to build a site. So what they would say in a value-based deal is you pay me an upfront fee and then you pay me an ongoing portion of the profits once the website has launched because it's an e-commerce website. There's obviously a lot of risk here, but it has unlimited upside potential. So for that $4,000 fee, instead, the designer says, all right, I will take $1,000 upfront and then 10% of sales for the next year after the website is launched. So if that company ends up selling $100,000 worth of goods, that designer will get an additional $10,000, making her total project fee $11,000 instead of the $4,000 she would have originally charged. You get checks coming in for a long time after the project is done, and you could end up earning way more money than you would have if you charged upfront. And deals like these have helped us grow way faster and in a way that wouldn't have otherwise been possible if we'd opted for more traditional payment structures. But as I said, the risk is a lot greater. 
That is such a cool idea. I'm like obsessing over it. And it gives the person doing the service or giving you like their knowledge, this drive to really generate results instead Mm -hmm. of just check a project off the list. That is so cool. Sorry. Yeah. You're both become invested in each other. Absolutely. One of the things I just have to give you amazing kudos for, because I know this isn't by chance, this is through your gifts and your talent and your knowledge, is you just gave people a lesson. If they were paying close attention to what you were saying, you gave an incredible lesson in selling through that. Do you want to know why? What I caught with you? Tell me. Okay. You are so good at painting the end result. Notice everyone, if you need to go backwards and listen again, When Sari started answering the question about different pricing structures, she started talking about the end result she could get people. And I think a lot of times when people go to sell their product or service or put their offer out into the world, they are so focused on features, right? Like the bells and whistles. Like I have this course with 30 modules and an 800 page workbook and all these videos And no one's going to value those things unless they fully comprehend and understand the value of that end result. And so when you were talking about providing someone negotiating skills that could help them through the rest of their life or the different options you were speaking about, you constantly were only focused on that end result, not the features. And I think that is such a powerful lesson in selling that anyone that hit play on this episode needed to hear, whether it was consciously or subconsciously. I love it. You're so right. And it is part of what I teach. I think it's just become so ingrained in me now. I love it. Yes. I was like, she is literally an expert at just explaining the end result in a way that makes people see the value. And I just think it's so easy for us to almost try to legitimize what we're selling at certain price points by pointing out the bells and whistles without clearly communicating that end result. So I just, you gave that lesson without even acknowledging it or realizing it. And I'm like, that right there is gold in and of itself. So, okay, we know what Chanel thinks about discounts, but I want to know what your philosophy is when it comes to discounting what you offer. (laughs) Yeah. So Good for Chanel. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but I, right? Burning all those bags just gives me hives. I think about the waste and the impact to the environment, but that's mm-hmm. a side note. So <laughs> I personally am not against discounts with very specific caveats. So okay. at Nine of Us, we discount for two reasons and two reasons only. A client is signing a long-term retainer or they're a client who will add to our portfolio in some way. So when we started out, we had a lot of tech startup experience, but I knew that I wanted a Fortune 100 on our books. So in order to close the deal, I offered our half-day workshop on allyship at a really severe discount because I knew that workshop was killer and they would see value. And I also knew that they had budget. So I was banking on giving them this at a discount in order to get a bigger share of their budget. So of course, they signed for three more workshops. And then after that, which they paid full price for. And then after that, they asked for consulting services. And so it goes. And for me, that was worth it. Because even if I didn't end up getting more of their budget, it was a great case study that would allow us to pitch at other similar sized companies. So to go back to that designer example, 
you might have a lot of solopreneurs right now, and you may want to venture to, say, a larger e-commerce biz. So it might be worthwhile for you to discount your prices the first time you do it in order to get it on your books and demonstrate to other clients like them that you can do this kind of work. When it comes to retainers, we give a 10 to 20% discount depending on the size and the length of the engagement. The last thing that we do at Nine of Us is that we have a pretty interesting pricing service for women of color who may not be in a position to afford coaching. So this is pretty unique to our business, but I know there's ways, I mean, the audience, you guys are all so creative. I know there's ways you can apply this to your business. So when it comes to women of color that may not be in a position to afford coaching, I personally coach them for free. The condition is that when they are in a position to afford it, so they have a job with security and are making enough money, they pay it forward for someone from their community to get coached, literally pay it forward. So they pay, they dominate someone and pay for them at my full price to get coached. Mm. And the reason that I insist on that pay it forward investment is that when someone is paying for a person to get coached, they're not just handing over the money and forgetting about them. They're mentoring them long-term and that's so critical for success. And paying for the service also makes people value things more because as we talked about, there's a mental factor there around valuing the money that we hand over. So this is actually a part of a business we're growing because it's worked so well for us and we're able to see the impact that we make. That is an incredible model. And I think that there are so many ways you are so 100% right that this audience could take that in some way and use their gifts to create a similar model. I love that. Awesome. Lastly, I don't charge people extra if they choose to pay in installments because I don't think it's ethical to ding people who may need a longer time to pay for my services. And I want to make sure that I'm working with people who can comfortably afford me. So if I can make it easier to do that without compromising my price, I absolutely will. That's so awesome. And One of the things that I often think about, because especially when you're starting out, I feel like a lot of people will try to negotiate with you and and that confidence isn't there yet to really stand true in what you're worth. I had to make the decision as a photographer early on that I didn't offer discounts. However, I would either shoot entirely fully paid or entirely for free. And there was no in between because I always found that whenever Mm. I gave a discount, I didn't fully deliver on that same experience because I almost felt slighted or undervalued. And so when I shot for free, it was on my terms, my delivery schedule and the way that I wanted to shoot. And then when people did the full price, they got the full experience. And that was just something I had to come to because after offering discounts, I always kind of felt like I was either undervalued or I wasn't valuing the full experience that the client deserved. So that was kind of what I landed on. I love that it was something similar to you. Yes, I love that. And I loved that you talked about... I mean, I've talked so much about creating value for the client, but what you charge should also make you understand the value that you deliver to the world, right? Like what you're doing is important and valuable work. It's why their clients are even talking to you in the first place because they need what you do. So charge them for it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I cannot believe I am to my last question with you. How in the heck is that even possible? Sorry. Give me three actionable tips that someone can implement today to feel more confident in their pricing and sharing that pricing with potential customers or clients. Okay. Number one, have a rate card. Write your rates down and have them propped up in front of you or stuck to your laptop. So that rate card is like a prompt card for you. So you make sure you stick to your prices and you don't panic in the moment when someone asks you, what do you charge? You have a standard set number for every tier that you offer and that it's like clockwork that you can just read it off the card. Two, benchmark. Talk to others in your field, talk to people outside your circle, talk to your ideal clients and compare to corporate salaries. And the last and most important one, tell your imposter syndrome to give it a rest. Not today, (laughs) Satan. He or she or they are so busy undermining you in all these other ways. Do not let them affect how you feed yourself or how you live your life. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Okay, I know everyone's going to be eager to connect with you, to find you, to learn more from you, and to see you in action. Sorry, where can everybody connect with you online? Yeah, so until we migrate over, I'm at Sorry Day Coaching on Instagram, or you can drop me an email, hello at Sorry Day Coaching, or find us on our website, sorrydaycoaching.com. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was such an incredible masterclass on pricing and my audience just got so much value. So I feel like I got that same value just being a student of your work. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. That was an incredible, incredible interview. I hope that you learned something new. I feel like there is just so much to learn just from the way that Sari presents and shows up and the way that she adds value and speaks to those end results. Like I was blown away through some of the things she answered without even knowing it. What a wealth of knowledge. And I really hope that this helped uncover some of those questions that you might be having around pricing and discounting and different models that you should follow as you pursue your dreams. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. And if you have an idea or a topic you would love to cover on the show, hop on over to golddiggerpodcast.com and submit yourself or someone you love to become a guest on this show. Till next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger Podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com.